so I've been teaching. This is actually part 22. This is the 22nd lesson on the book of Revelation. I'm teaching line by line, verse by verse through the book of Revelation because I believe that we're in the time just prior to Jesus' return. And so we want to be really clear. And a lot of people really misunderstand this book of Revelation, but are trying to make the, the complex simple. And it's not really that hard to grasp and understand if you know some basic things. So there's some things that I'm going to cover as we do this every week because, again, we have sometimes a new, uh, new people that join the audience, whether it's online or in the room. But a lot of people watch online. So if you missed a lesson, I just try to catch everybody up to where we are really simply, quickly. Everything's on the website. All of the lessons, all of the notes are there. And there's so much in the notes that many times I don't have time to share in our limited time here we were broadcast on the internet, and then we are here as well. We have children's ministries. So we have to kind of tie it up fairly quickly. But uh, some things that, we'll, um, that we will cover week after week. And, and really, when I do it that way, you're going to find out that you remember things more. You don't remember things you hear one time. Um, again, uh, uh, the, the, I think it's the uh, Hebrew word for wisdom, hakma. It means to pound in. And it's talking about repetition, repetition. Repetition is the key to learning. You know that if you teach children, and uh, repetition is the key to learning for all of us, and you know, we should always be learning. So for me, I, I just, you know, just the fact that I do what I do, I just have to go over, over, over again and again. You'll find when you hear it more than once from me, don't turn it off. Listen, because it'll help you grasp and understand things and then apply them to your life. So we're going through the book of Revelation. We're on Revelation chapter 11. We're going to finish that. We started that last week. Did not get finished. We'll finish chapter 11 of Revelation tonight. We're talking about the two witnesses and really, actually, the second coming of Christ. Now, I'm going to start here. This will be my bouncing board to begin tonight. If you'll put this chart up there on the screen, I'm going to go back to this chart that I showed last week and make some comments about that. But I've talked to several people this week, and I keep hearing these same things over and over again. And it's, uh, you know, people that perhaps don't even attend victory and some that do. But, but I keep hearing, and I, I hear it, I, I see it on Facebook. And as I'm just out and about, you know, just rubbing elbows with people, I keep hearing that, well, Jesus is coming really soon. And here's what I know a lot of people think in America. Listen, they think that Jesus could come back. And here's the belief system, uh, that Jesus' return is imminent, that it, it could happen at every, any second of any hour of any day. And now that's called imminency. That's a doctrine, you know, for those that study eschatology, end time things. It's called the doctrine of imminency. The problem with that is you won't find that in the Bible as far as the rapture of the church. Now, when I say that, people get upset. But I want to explain why I say that. You know, uh, uh, Jesus' coming is mentioned. The word coming uh, referring to his second coming is uh, mentioned 29 times in nine books in the New Testament. And these 29 times, it's the Greek word parousia. Uh, I don't know if you had time to screen that. There it is. Parousia, and it comes from the word para, which really means with or alongside, and then the word asia, which, which means uh, to dwell with, remain to be. And, and so the idea here contains the idea of an arrival and a continued presence with. So the, 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 when, when Jesus said, I'm coming back, or when the New Testament author said, Christ is coming again, you got to understand that coming is a sequence of events. It's not just one thing that happens. And, and, it's, and it's not, it's not uh, scattered things that happen here and, here and there with no rhyme or reason to them. A lot of people think the rapture of the church is just, it happens and then, uh, and it's disconnected to other things. That's, that's not what the Bible seems to teach. Uh, it, it, teaches, it teaches that the coming is a presence. It, it, it comes, it gets stronger, 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 stronger as the, as the time goes by. So, you know, when you speak of Jesus' first coming, we think of the announcement of his birth uh, by the angel to Mary. We think about Joseph being uh, uh, talked to by an angel. We think about his incarnation, his birth in Bethlehem. We think about, you know, later on, uh, we see him teaching in the temple at age 12. We see him growing up uh, in his father's house. His father was a carpenter. And so there's years that there weren't, wasn't a lot said about Jesus. He was growing up and learning 
in the world that he created. Uh, his baptism by John at age 30, when the Holy Spirit, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, his public ministry for three and a half years, and then after that, uh, his crucifixion, uh, his resurrection, and then after he appeared to his disciples for 40 days, the ascension to heaven where he lives right now, ever living to make intercession for us. So see, all of that says, you could say that's his coming, that was his first coming. So his second coming, it's sequential. And if you'll look at the, and if you'll go ahead and look at the, put the uh, um, chart back up there again. So, so this is the second coming of Christ. And it starts, I mentioned last week, with a, with a signing of a covenant or, or at least an, an acquiescing to an agreement perhaps that already exists. I mentioned last week this peace deal that's going on. I've read several articles. People are all excited now for the first time, you know, since the inception of Israel as a nation in 1948. Perhaps they could actually be peace in Israel and making, that will make so much difference in the Arab nations and such and such. We'll understand uh, it's a pseudo-peace. It's a false sense of peace. And uh, these nations are going to gain together. And then this man that the Bible calls Antichrist, he's going to align with these nations, these Arab nations, and enter into an agreement or a contract with Israel for at least seven years. And that's what Daniel talked about. And that's the whole formation of the ideology that there's a seven-year tribulation that comes from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So that begins this seven-year period that we call, uh, that we typically call the tribulation. It's really nowhere in the Bible is the seven years called the tribulation. Does that shock you? No, it's Jesus called the last three and a half of those years uh, or a portion of that the great tribulation, but it's never called the tribulation. It's really more accurate to say Daniel's 70th week, but because most people have no clue what you're talking about when you say that. I'll just say tribulation because when I do that, everybody goes, I got that. I know what that is, right? Even though I know it's a misnomer or a, a misspeaking, if I do that, I don't lose people's train of thinking. So it starts with this covenant. And so, so get the idea again. And I'm going to just say some of the same things I've said. Revelation, the, the, the book of Revelation is sequential. And so Jesus uh, appears to John on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea in chapter 1. And then chapters 2 and 3, he addresses seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And they, they're having the same problems we're having today in the 21st century. We're having the same problems they had in the 1st century. So Jesus addresses attitudes, values, and the things that the churches were doing. And, and we use those and really go back and read what Jesus had to say uh, to those churches because all of us have to deal with some of those, all of uh, the same issues that all seven churches dealt with in their lives. And then chapter four uh, and five of Revelation, God owns, he's the creator, sustainer of everything that exists. In Revelation five, he's got a scroll in his right hand and that scroll is God's title deed to planet earth. Everybody say the scroll is God's title deed to earth. Got seven, it's got seven seals on it, denoting it's a very important document in the first century. And those seals have to be opened. Revelation chapter 6 parallels Matthew chapter 24 in the New Testament. And those seals are open. And so that's what you see on the chart right here. The first seal, the Antichrist is revealed. Second seal, wars hit planet Earth. Uh, factions between uh, different ethnicities uh, all over the earth, famines as a result of uh, uh, climatic weather changes and war, death as a result of war and famine, and then martyrdom uh, is the fifth seal. And then right here, the midpoint of that seven-year period that we typically call the tribulation, the Antichrist, he turns us back on Israel he turns his back on the Jews and he begins a serious persecution of Christians and Jews. We will be here. So let me say this. Let's stop right here in the middle of that and say this. I believe my personal belief system, and you may disagree with me and I give you permission. My personal belief system for studying the scriptures uh, since 1976 and particularly on the subject of end time events since I attended my first Bible school in 1977. My personal opinion is that we will be here during the first part of this seven-year period. Many people believe the rapture will take us away uh, right when or at the point of the Antichrist 
agreeing and assenting to some kind of a treaty. I don't think we're going to leave. If we do, on the way up, I'll say, you were right. I was wrong. Yay. Yay. We miss it all. But if I'm right and you're wrong, then you need to listen. Because I'm telling you, there are going to be some really upset people when our feet don't leave terra firma, the earth, when the bad stuff starts, then you just need to listen up. And again, most people that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, and I believe these same things for, man, Lord, 30 years, y'all, uh, believe it because they think this whole seven-year period is God's wrath. It's not. The first part is the wrath of man. There's a latter part of it is the wrath of God. We are, as Christians, immune from the wrath of God, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Romans 5, 9. But we are not, nowhere in the Bible says that we're immune from persecution. There are martyrs. In fact, the biblical word witness is the word martyr in the Greek language. Nothing that says that we're not going to be uh, cast aside and made fun of, vilified, because we know Jesus. In fact, all throughout the Gospels and the New Testament writers made it very clear that we're going to be persecuted. So if you don't have a faith that can stand persecution, you ain't got much. If you fall the moment somebody looks at you wrong, there's problems coming, my friends. The bigger problem is, is if I'm that person, is how I'm dealing with life. So that's the reality. So because, uh, because of what I just said, I believe in the pre-wrath rapture of the church, not the pre-tribulation, pre-wrath rapture. See, that takes us out of what God does that makes pl- life on planet Earth nasty and horrible. First part of these three and a half years right here, this right here, this is Antichrist doing his stuff. Jesus called him birth pains. Uh, just things are heating up. And then Antichrist turncoats on Israel and then the wrath of Satan or the great tribulation or the wrath of the Antichrist comes full force to, to believers. Perhaps it's in the Middle East. Perhaps it filters over into the U.S. And then Jews are also persecuted severely during this time. And Jesus said during this next part, right after these three, the three and a half years, after the Antichrist uh, seals the covenant, you know, this first portion of this, it's a pretty tough time. And Jesus said, except those days are shortened, no believing flesh would be saved. And he said, because of the sake of the elect, the elect are not just Israelites, Jews, the elect are also the people of God, the Christians. He said, because of us, God shortens that time. I said this last week, and I'm trying to make this as practical as possible. So, you know, it could be the end of the year. It could be next year sometime that that covenant is confirmed with many, with many Arab states, with with, uh, Israel. That could happen. Once that happens, the Jewish clock is ticking, seven-year clock is ticking. So figure it out. When you see that happen, I'll mention it from the stage. Well, I think this is it, guys. That's what I'll say. And they just start ticking. Three and a half years into that, it's going to get really nasty. Then you got about another year, maybe, maybe a year and a half if you stretch it. So that'd be three and a half, four and a half, five years. And then the sixth seal on the scroll in God's right hand is broken. And um, the sun, moon, and stars darken. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, uh, 29 through 31. And the sixth seal on the scroll in God's right hand is spoken of in Revelation 6, 12 through 18. And that's when the rapture occurs. There's a huge earthquake at the same time. Beam me up, Scotty. We're going to heaven. And so uh, we get our glorified bodies. We're, we're taken off the earth before this next thing. The wrath of God falls. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. We've taught all of these things on Wednesday nights. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. There's one more seal to be broken on the scroll in God's right hand. The sixth seal is cosmic disturbances where the sun loses its shine, the moon loses its shine, the stars darken. And then that's a sign the rapture will occur. It'll occur right after that. God seals 144,000 Jews. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight uh, so they can endure this wrathful time of the wrath of God because they're not saved. And then, and then the church is in heaven. Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, the seventh seal breaks. And before it breaks, everybody calms down. All the angels fold their wings. Nobody says anything. And all of the prayers of the ages come before the throne of God for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. 
And then the seventh angel. And, and then Jesus breaks the seventh seal. And when he does that, seven angels appear with trumpets in their hands. And those are called trumpet judgments. They're talking about in Revelation 8, Revelation 9. And that starts right here. That starts what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. That starts the time period of the wrath of God. Now, I've taught on this so much during this series, but I have to keep repeating things because people haven't heard these things by and large. Old Testament prophets, New Testament, the day of the Lord is mentioned multiple times throughout the Old Testament, uh, throughout the New Testament. And the day of the Lord is when the wrath of God falls. On the, on the disobedience of man. It's a horrible time. We won't be here, but I promise you, people that are here, they're going to suffer terribly. Perhaps uh, over a third of the population of the earth dies, perishes. They are killed. The, uh, what, the um, uh, vegetation tur- turns dark brown. Uh, the uh, water is polluted, salt water, fresh water. Uh, the heavens change, the sun uh, the moon, the stars, the heavenly bodies change because Earth's atmosphere changes there during that time. The Earth itself literally turns against life. And then the uh, uh, fifth and sixth trumpets, those are the day of the Lord, the wrath of God. They're blown during that time. These are sequential. You got the seals that break, then the trumpets blow, and then the bowls. We'll talk about those in Revelation 16. The bowls of wrath. What is that? We'll talk about that later. Nonetheless, you know, uh, when, when the fifth and sixth trumpets blow, man, there are, there are some ugly, ugly creatures that come up out of the depths of the earth. Demon spirits actually come out of hell and they start attacking people that have aligned themselves in the Antichrist. Aren't you glad you're not going to be here? So if you're watching, you're in the room and you're not saved, dude, You're going to have to deal with the stuff I'm talking about. You don't want to do this. Come to Jesus now. So you'll be delivered from the wrath to come. How many hear me? These demon spirits come up out of the earth and just plague these people in some really, 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 really bad ways. So six of the seven trumpets blow. Revelation uh, 8, Revelation 9, Revelation 10. A few weeks ago, uh, Jesus actually appears as an angel. I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that, took a whole lesson. He puts one uh, foot on dirt, one foot on the seas, and uh, he's saying, I own this planet. And he has a scroll in his hand. He gives it to John. He says, John, take this little tiny scroll, unroll it. And when John unrolls the scroll, he said, now I want you to eat the thing. And then he said, I I want you to read what's going on here. And then Revelation chapter 11 happens. Again, Jesus is that angel that appears, I believe, in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 11. Now, this is where we left off last time. So let's go through the first few verses again really quickly for those that weren't watching last week or weren't in the room last week. Revelation 11.1. John says, there I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure. He's reading the scroll that it was in the hands of the angel, which I believe is Jesus in Revelation 10. And the, the, and the verb had said, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And I mentioned last week, you know, that shows us there's going to be another Jewish temple built. Understand that God has not finished with the Jewish race. Some people think that the church has replaced the Jewish race on earth, but that's not true. That's false. That's wrong theology. God loves the Jewish race. From the Jewish race came the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Uh, and, and several other covenants, the new covenant. Jesus came from the Jewish race. God loves the Jewish people. When Jesus came the first time, they absolutely rejected his Messiahship because he came, He came. you know, you know they laid him in straw in a barn and they, they thought he was gonna come in the pomp and circumstance of a king and it didn't happen that way. And the Jews said, I will never believe that's my, that's my Messiah, my, my Savior. So they've been in unbelief for 2,000 years God set them on the shelf, cut Jewish time, said, we won't be messing with you for a few thousand years. And God's been dealing with the church for 2,000 years. Aren't you glad that God let you in his family? A lot of the Jews thought only Jews could be saved during Jesus' time. But God gave the apostle Paul a revelation in Acts 10 and said that salvation is not just for 
uh, Jewish people to this for non-Jewish people as well. Isn't that awesome? And so Revelation 11, 1, see, God loves the Jewish people enough. Even though they're not saved, they're not walking with Jesus, they want that temple rebuilt. They want to make animal sacrifices again. They want to do what, what happened under, during Moses' time, during the, during the temple and during Solomon's time, the, uh, and, and then the tabernacle in the wilderness. They gave sacrifices via animals, uh, the, and, and they sacrificed the blood to God. Well, they want to do that again. So God, there's going to be another Jewish temple rebuilt the plans are already there and it's probably going to be a very archaic simple temple it's not going to take decades to build like previous temples took it's going to be very very simple and rustic but the Jews want to get up there and start doing animal sacrifices and God says all right I'm gonna let you do it so that's Revelation uh, verse 1 chapter 11 verse 2 but leave so we measured the temple but leave out the court which is outside the temple do not measure it for it's been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years now he's talking there about the Antichrist turncoating on Israel they have a rebuilt temple and it sounds like the verbiage here and I mentioned this last week that it, uh, Ju- Jerusalem may be split by this peace treaty that happens. And so the Jews will rebuild their temple, but there's a, there's a part of it that's still under Gentile control. And God says, leave that alone, don't bother. And he tells him here, uh, um, because it's been given to the Gentiles, and so it lets us know that, um, that the peace treaties that are coming up may, may also uh, allow for the Arabs to be on the Temple Mount there. And so you see a lot of news in this. And I mentioned this last week. Go back to last week's uh, time, and I get, went into more t- detail than I will tonight. 11.3, I mentioned last week, I'll give power uh, to my two witnesses, God says, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So this is an astounding thing that John read on that little scroll in the angel's hand in Revelation 10. Here, two witnesses appear. They appear midway through that seven-year period, three and a half years into it, Antichrist gets mean with Christians and Jews, and then these two guys are raised up. Suddenly, these two guys are street preachers in Jerusalem. And nobody likes them. Understand during this time, we'll be here at the beginning of this time. We'll see the Antichrist get mean and angry. We'll see, we'll see that. We'll probably see these two witnesses. We'll see them on news broadcast and you'll hear about them in articles on the internet. Who are these goofy people dressed in sackcloth? These people are goofy. They're crazy. And they're old school preachers. And they're talking about everything we like to do is being sin, and nobody likes them. So um, the two witnesses, they, they preach in sackcloth because they have a message of repentance. I talked about that in detail, and it's in the notes. My notes are again on the website. We talked about that in detail last week, 11.4. These are the two, talking about the two witnesses, calls them two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. Why did he call these two people lampstands and olive trees? It takes you back to Zechariah 4. Israel had come out of Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Zechariah is the guy in charge of Judah. And then, uh, and then one of the priests' name was Joshua, probably, and, uh, in, in Zechariah. And those guys were called olive trees and lampstands. And that's where you hear the verbiage that's particularly uh, quoted in charismatic churches, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's what Zechariah, I mean, uh, Zerubbabel, I'm sorry, and uh, Joshua were saying on the streets when the Jews were rebuilding the walls, you ain't going to do this in your own strength. You better trust God. Don't trust your own mental acumen. Don't, tr- uh, don't trust the strength of your physique. You trust God, trust the Holy Ghost, trust God to help you. And see, when he references the olive stands and uh, the uh, lamp stands and olive trees here, what does he say? Those guys are going to be standing up and they're going to be saying, you think you've got life? 
by the tail. You think you know everything. You're not going to do anything without God and without his help. The Antichrist is telling you nothing's wrong. Life is wonderful. Nothing you do is wrong. Any ideology is okay. Do what you'd want to do with abandon. And these guys are saying, no, you don't. It's not by might, human might. It's not by human power. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to live. And they're witnessing, witnessing, witnessing while the Antichrist is tearing things apart with how he acts and lives and with his ideology. Woo, anyway, y'all get that? Anyway, and if anyone wants to harm them, verse five, fire proceeds from their mouth, devours their enemies. Anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So somehow fire comes out of the mouth. Sounds really strange. These have the, or they may just speak. They may look at somebody and say, you'll be dead tonight by midnight. And, and they're gone. Now, what would you do if somebody looked at you and said that? You'd stay away from them. I mean, that gives me the heebie-jeebies, right? So what's going on? Then it says, these have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. So the Antichrist is saying, don't listen to them. They're not telling you the truth. Listen to me. There are no laws. It's a lawless time. Nothing's wrong with lying, cheating, stealing. Any kind of immorality that you can imagine with anything is okay. And they're saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. And and just show you that it's not and that God is in heaven. It will not rain for another six months or three months or whatever they say, right? They have the power to shut up the heavens so no rain falls in the day of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. What do you think they're gonna be doing? We're in heaven during, well, part of this time we're here. So, so Antichrist is saying, there are no laws. The Ten Commandments mean, mean nothing. Take them out of your civil courts. Take them out of your school rooms. Take them out. Ban Bibles all over the world. No Bibles. And the witness is saying, he's wrong. There is a God. The Ten Commandments are still in force. And they're, and they're put in force by the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Don't listen. And so you'll know that what I say is right. The water will be poisoned. Or this plague will come. Or the crops will fail. Or your animals will die. You'll not eat beef for another year. Or all your chickens will die. You won't have any eggs for breakfast. You can't cook bacon in whatever. You hear what I'm saying? All kinds of plagues. That's what they'll do. They'll be a huge witness for God during the last part of that seven-year period. Once the Antichrist turns against Israel, they're going to be prophesying that whole time. And to begin with, you and I will be here before the rapture. Before that uh, sixth seal is broken, we'll be here. Those two witnesses, because they prophesy for three and a half years, they said last three and a half, we'll be here for that first portion, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half or so. And we will see them. Everybody get the idea? And then we, we're gone, we're raptured, and they're still there. And when the, when the day of the Lord wrath comes, and those trumpet judgments come, and the grass turns brown, and the, and the water's polluted, they're here. They're here during that time. Maybe they're helping some of that happen. That's what he said right here. So just understand these witnesses have a big part to play. Then verse 7, we started leaving off here last week. When they finished their testimony, says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, and this is, that's the Antichrist. His power comes from demon forces from the underworld. So it says here, when they finished their testimony, the two witnesses finished the plan that God had for them to be in Jerusalem, there's three and a half years. Watch. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, kill them. And then verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. That's uh, Jerusalem. Spiritually called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. And these verbiages are using Sodom, Egypt, you know, Egypt for slavery, Sodom for sin. Because Jerusalem, you know, they just left God. I mean, the people have been totally corrupted by the doctrine of the Antichrist and the lawlessness that he uh, portends upon the entire world, really. It's just a terrible thing. thing. So I mentioned that last week, verses 9 and 10. It says, um, uh, in fact, um, their, their bodies lie in the street. Let me mention that just a little bit. Their bodies, you know, for most cultures, a dead body is to be revered and respected 
and taken care of and buried. And that's, that's the way most cultures have dealt with death really in history. And, and so for the Antichrist to really desecrate the bodies of these two men and let flies and maggots eat them and birds come and eat them and let them smell up the, the uh, streets for three and a half days. That's a terrible thing to think about. For three days, all of the world will see these two dead prophets. Let me mention these prophets again. Who are they? I'm, I talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, a lot of commentators believe that they could be Elijah and Moses, Moses standing for the law, Elijah standing for the prophets. Elijah could call fire down from heaven. Moses enacted the 10 plagues upon the Egyptians before the Israelites were let go from Egypt, Exodus 7 through 11. So, and then who, who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17? It was Moses and Elijah. So understand Moses and Elijah. I want to bear this point for a second. Moses and Elijah, Elijah listen to this. How many understand the Old Testament saints? And I got to, I'm going to say it real quickly because I, I, I can't go into great detail. But Luke 16 is clear that before Jesus died, and I've mentioned, I'm usually mentioning this at Easter. I'm mentioning it at Christmas. But before, before Jesus died, the Old Testament saints couldn't go to heaven because they weren't saved yet. They had a promissory note through the animal blood, that yes, God's promised the Savior's coming. But because they were still sinners in need of a Savior, they had to go somewhere. So, so hell was divided into two compartments. I can go into great detail, but I don't have a lot of time. If you've got questions, email me or come and see me afterwards. Hell was divided into two compartments, Luke 16. Start with verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, uh, the righteous side of hell, and then there was a wicked side of hell where there were flames. The righteous side of hell was called paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, the righteous side of hell. Yeah, Jesus spent three days and nights there. And then, and then it's also called um, uh, paradise. What's the other word? What? What? Abraham's bosom. Abraham's lap. So, so again, when Jesus died, there was a great, and, and there was a great earthquake. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead, there was an earthquake. In Matthew uh, 50, uh, uh, 27, 51, it says when that earthquake occurred, the rocks split apart. And those people that were in that righteous side of hell, after Jesus has spent three days and nights there and preached the gospel to them that are dead so they could live for God and understand that he's the Messiah, I'm the lamb of sacrifice, come up with me. He got back in his dead body, it came alive. They got in their glorified bodies and their graves opened. So Elijah and Moses too, here they are, boom, got glorified bodies. So when they come back during this three and a half years, hey, they got glorified bodies, but somehow God allows them to die. Isn't that interesting? And they stay there three days, and then God raises them up. Everybody with me? Is that interesting? Man. Verse 9 of, of Revelation 11, then those from the people, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves and those who dwell on the earth. Now, here's the heart of humanity. Watch. Those that dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Well, how did they torment them? You need to walk with God. You need to repent of sin. You need to stop being immoral. You need to stop your homosexual ways. You need to stop your lesbian ways, your pedophilia ways. You need to stop having sex with animals. You need to, you need to repent of your fornication. You need to walk with God and stop lying and cheating and stealing. You need to stop. And the Antichrist is saying, don't listen to him, listen to me. Don't listen to him, listen to me. And nobody likes what they have to say because it's putting curbs on their behavior, question, is the spirit of Antichrist in the world today? Is it in America right now? Are people following that? Are some believers in line with that? That's the reason, y'all, it is a day of repentance. How many hear me? So he goes on to say, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, send gifts to one another. 
because these two prophets that tormented those who dwell on the earth because they're dead. Good grief. See, that's the heart of humanity. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus said from the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, thefts, blasphemies, immoralities, and all the evil things that happen to the human race. The heart is not nice. So you got sweet little kids or grandkids. Yeah, they're sweet. Oh, they're real sweet till they don't get their way. So parents, if you don't discipline your children, it's the worst thing you could ever do for them because the heart is corrupt. And this proves it really clear, this verse right here. This is what the people of the world think about these prophets from heaven trying to show people the straight and narrow way and they won't listen. Verse 11, now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. There's a lot in that verse. Real quick, let me unpack it quickly. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God. Now, that term, breath of life. Now, now that comes from the Old Testament. I want you to listen. I sang a song in the sixth grade. Them bones and bones and dry bones, them bones and bones and... You remember that? Yeah. Well... The breath of life enters. It comes from Ezekiel's prophecy. Listen to Ezekiel 37. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, surely I'll cause breath to enter into you. And you shall live, I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin, put breath in you and you'll live. Then you'll know I'm the Lord. Then verses nine and 10, he also said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and breath came in them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Listen, so when he says here, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God enter these two prophets, guess what else happens? It says they stand on their feet. Then it says great fear fell on those who saw them. A lot of commentators believe this is when a lot of the Israelites who have never trusted that Jesus is Messiah, they say he has to be the one Jesus has to be Lord. I bow my knee. I bow my stubborn neck to the Son of God. And there's a revival among the Jews that are still here in that 144,000 that God stamped and said, nothing's gonna kill you. They're probably part of that. Isn't that awesome? It's a revival. Then verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. So the two witnesses, they are raptured. And they ascend to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So just like the church is raptured, you know, years before this, these two witnesses, they're slain after their ministry. Let me tell you, if you walk with God and stay in his will, the devil can't touch you. And, and nothing will happen until it's time for you to go to heaven. You're completely protected if you'll stay under the shadow of the Most High. Everybody, how many hear me? Verse 13, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. 7,000 people were killed. The rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven, giving reference again, these that were afraid gave glory to the God of heaven. It's that revival among the Jews. Man, they're coming to Jesus by score. An earthquake kills thousands and thousands of people. You remember when in, in Revelation 6, 12 uh, through 18, when the rapture occurs, the cosmic disturbances occur, the sun, moon, and stars darken. There's also a great earthquake and every mountain and hill moves out of place. Here, when the two witnesses ascend in their raptured stance, there's also a tremendous earthquake. Then it says, verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So in Revelation 8, 13, remember a few weeks ago, it's, uh, we, we talked about that an angel flew through the midst of heaven and he announced three woes. Whoa, whoa. Well, he wasn't talking about a horse stopping. He's talking about bad things happening. Whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the uh, trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. So the first woe was in Revelation 9 when the locusts from the bottomless pit, the demon spirits attacked the humans who did not go in the rapture and who followed the Antichrist and in, 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 in the false prophets. They, they, I mean, they attacked them. That's the first one. Second woe 
is when these two witnesses are killed by the Antichrist. That's the second woe. And then they're, they're rising from death, their rapture, the great earthquake quills. That's the second woe. But the third woe, now it happens when the last trumpet, last of seven trumpets sound, and it happens next. And when that seventh trumpet sounds, listen, verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded. Remember, there were seven seals on the scroll in God's right hand. Scrolls opened up. Then there's seven trumpets. This is the last trumpet to blow. When the last trumpet blows, then the bowl judgments start. See, they're sequential. Get it? So watch this. Seventh trumpet, seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is the end of Daniel's seven years. Jesus comes back right there. Did you hear what I just said? I know we're in Revelation 11, but Jesus comes back right there. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. What happened? This is when there's a, a retransfer of power. Remember again, I've talked about it when Adam and Eve sinned. The authority that God uh, gave them to keep the earth was given to their arch enemy Satan when they sinned. Satan became the God of this age. I always said a little G, God. God of this world, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Jesus called him the prince of this world. Satan obtained the power or authority Authority that God originally gave the human race when he first created them. And he's had it ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And that's why you've had hell on wheels in life all of the time that you've been alive and history records it. And here it is, it snaps back into place. Jesus comes back and he says, devil, it's mine now. What you got from Adam, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of, our, of me of my kingdoms, of my God, and I'm his Christ and will reign forever. Isn't that awesome? And then notice what he says. So again, in fact, uh, let's see what time. I'll let you read the scriptures that I've got in my notes. Verse 16, once that occurs, uh, verse 16, the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces, worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, the one who was and what who is to come because you've taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. When did the wrath come? The wrath come during those seven trumpets that blew. It wrecked the earth. It was a terrible time. Your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should, and that's looking forward to the great white throne judgment where every person that leaves their physical body in death and their spirit goes into eternity. They go to a holding tank, a county jail of eternity called hell and they await for the great white throne judgment and they are judged for what they did while they were on earth. And then Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible says that is the second death. And so again, he says, the time of the dead that they should be judged, what I just said is what it's talking about, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy um, those who destroy the earth. There's not only a judgment for unbelievers, but there's also a judgment or a rewarding time for believers. And that's called, that's called the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And then 1 Corinthians chapter, what is it, chapter 3. In Romans, I think, chapter 14, verse 10, talks about the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will individually stand in our glorified body while Jesus looks at us and says, how you doing? How was, your, how was your earth walk? How did you do? Did you obey me? Did you listen to what I said? Did you repent of your sin? You say, yes, yes, yes. And then we're rewarded for our obedience to him. And we'll, we'll be rewarded with uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. Or if we cater to the flesh, we'll get wood, hay, and straw. And once he finishes judging our individual lives, he will say, well, I'm done. And you'll have some straw at your feet and some jewels in your hand. And he'll just look at you with his blazing eyes and the straw will catch on fire. And for a moment, you'll be consumed with smoke. And when the smoke clears, you'll see a smile on his face. And you'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant.
enter into the joy of your Lord. Are you looking forward to that? Whew. Makes me feel good. Verse 19, as we end, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. It's interesting, isn't it? And there were lightnings, noises, thunders, an earthquake, and great hail. Now, understand that there was the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, but it, see, it, was a, it, it actually had, had a, a sister in heaven, another ob, object in heaven just like it. And that Ark of the Covenant stood for the promises that God made to his covenant people and the promises that God made to you and me in Christ because Jesus came from and he descended from Abraham. We're part of that Abrahamic covenant. How many hear me? So God brings credence to the covenant once again when Jesus comes back at the end of those seven years. And then it says there were lightnings, noises, thunder, an earthquake, and great hail. And I'll let you read my notes. Go online and look at them because I'm, I'm done now. But see, this ends the seven years, but there's more to come. See, they're the bold judgments. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's in my notes again. I copy-pasted it so you could read it again. Go back to Daniel chapter 12. Um, Daniel chapter 12 mentions, uh, Daniel 12 verses 11 and 12, mentions 75 additional days. Everybody listen. Past the seven years that God showed Daniel. There's 75 days. The first 30 of those days, Jesus is here He's taken back authority from, from the devil and he's here and he's overseeing for 30 days. They last just a little, little shy of four weeks. Bowl judgments that we'll read about in Revelation 16. The bowl is a laver. And in the Middle East, the first century, the Jewish person had a, had a small, really shallow bowl on a table. They had a towel there. And they had to wash their hands before they ate. And so they would just take their hands and scoop it in the water like real quick and do this. And then dry their hands off or let them wring dry. And, and, and see, that's a bowl. So the bowl judgments is when God very quickly, very easily finishes, finishes removing all the contaminants of sin, of rebellion, uh, on the earth, he completely removes them in those seven bowl judgments. And they take a little less than four weeks. Then there are 45 additional days after the bowl judgments. And we'll read about all this as we keep going through the book of Revelation. And those 45 days is when, is when God refurbishes the earth. It, the, the, the battle of Armageddon ensues. Jesus goes back to heaven, gets the believers. We come back. There's a huge battle with God's enemies during these bold judgments and the, they end with the battle of Armageddon and then the Antichrist, the false prophets, they're thrown into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years and we rule and reign with Christ. There's 45 days where God refurbishes the earth and then we enter into the millennial reign of Christ. So, you know, if you understand, if you just I got to understand some things about the Bible. And the, the book of Revelation is really simple to understand if you understand some the sequence of events, the the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. Then we're going to come back next time. I'll teach and we'll talk about Revelation 12, Revelation 13. We'll start again. And those are going back to the last three. We're looking back. We look back in, in Revelation 10, Revelation 11, Revelation 12, Revelation 13. We're looking back at those three and a half years that the Antichrist is here. And he'll share some more information. And then chapters 15, 16 starts looking towards the bold judgments, those last 30 days that Jesus completely cleanses the earth. And anyway, we got a lot to talk. Isn't it interesting? So what should you get from this? Walk with God now. We're right on the cusp. What's that peace treaty sign? The seven years beginning. And so God's got grand plans for us. Eyes not seen, ear has not heard, and it's not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. So you might think it's hard right now. It's nothing compared to what's coming. But see, God's made a way of escape for us. Aren't you glad? And even during the intense tough times, 
Listen, while the witness, the two witnesses were there, I mean, hell on wheels was happening. I mean, the day of the Lord judgments were happening and the two witnesses were there and they were preaching and they were teaching. Let me tell you something. Before the rapture comes, we're going to see some terrible things at the same time, tremendous miracles. We're going to have a move of God. The Spirit of God will be manifesting. There'll be an element of people, listen, in the church that will fall away from God because they're going to say, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for hardship. I didn't sign up to be ridiculed. I didn't sign up to be vilified. I didn't sign up to be marginalized. I didn't, I didn't sign up for my name to be drug in the mud. I'm done. God, if that's what salvation is about, I'm done. And they walk away. Second Thessalonians 2, the great falling away. On the, on the other hand, a tremendous move of God for those that will refuse to recant, refuse to bow down, refuse to back down. Even if it costs them everything they have, I will never bow to anything but Jesus, my Lord. So get ready for what's coming. I hope that nobody in Victory Church falls away. If you're watching online, you're in here. I hope you're not one of those ones that says, too tough for me. Now's the time to get a heart for Jesus. If you have a heart for Jesus, you can go through anything God calls you to. How many hear me? I'll close with this for years. I started praying in 2015 for martyr, people who had martyr grace. There are people in other parts of the world now who actually have the grace to look death in the face. Somebody's ready to cut their head off or shoot them. And, and, and the person says, all you got to do to keep your life is to say you love Allah or say, or say something or just recant the Lord Jesus and say, he is not Lord and you're no longer a Christian. You can live, have a good time. We'll give you some money. And there are those that will say, I'll never do it. And they die. That's why I call it martyr grace. So friends, we're living in a different time. American believers are not ready for what's coming. But I want you to know the grace of God is amazing. And while I'm talking to you, I can't tell you the peace I feel while I'm talking about this. We're going through some tough stuff. But man, when the grace, one touch of the Spirit of God is worth <laughs> more than any money anybody will ever give you. It's worth more than one breath that you have in life. One touch from him. How many here?